0: On this edition of Asian Insider, we take a closer look at Brexit and discuss the implications for Asia. But first, the Hong Kong protests take center stage as Chief Executive Carrie Lam has withdrawn the extradition bill that ignited the protests in the first place.
1: First, the government will formally withdraw the bill in order to fully allay public concerns. Let's replace conflicts with conversations. And let's look for solutions.
0: So this extradition bill triggered the protests that have rocked Hong Kong for close to three months and have been getting steadily more violent. And of the five demands made by the pro-democracy protesters, the withdrawal of this bill was number one. Mrs. Lam also addressed the other four demands, seeking an end, of course, to the ongoing unrest. Now will this appease the protesters is the question. Will this finally put an end to the chaos? Those are some of the questions I will be asking our Asian insiders, Hong Kong correspondent Claire Huang and The Straits Times, China bureau chief and East Asia editor, Go Sui Quite a stunning mm-hmm. reversal by the city's top official. What's the latest from Hong Kong? And what's the difference between what she's saying now and what happened previously when she said the bill had been or was suspended?
1: So on Wednesday, uh, Chief Executive Carrie Lam, who's been under pressure to quell the unrest the past three months, right, uh, said she will fully withdraw the uh, highly divisive extradition bill when the Legislative Council uh, resumes. They're having a summer break right now, and that's possibly uh, in October when it resumes. Um, On Thursday, she met the media, and she basically repeated what she said in her televised recording on Wednesday, which is to mention the four actions that the government will do, key of which is the withdrawal of the bill, right? Um, The sole idea, I guess, uh, of of the move is to break through the impasse. Um, And she appealed to the people uh, to move together to do so, so as to restore uh, order and peace to Hong Kong. Now um, the problem with it is uh, the new point of contention, which is um, protesters want her to set up a judge-led inquiry to look into the police. Um, And she was asked, you know, that the the task force that's uh, doing this, you know, formed by uh, people who have got uh, ties, uh, who are pro-Beijing or pro-government. So it's not as uh, objective as uh, what the people um, want. And she said that the, uh, it's not fair to say that the police watchdog is dominated by pro-establishment folks. And she also said that, you know, uh, the appointment of two new members uh, is to help. Uh, this uh, task force to shoulder unprecedented workload and also um, to help with the uh, fact-finding report that uh, the government will uh, take into account. Now, um, I think there's one thing we need to uh, we need to explain, uh, which is the uh, difference between a full withdrawal of the bill and a suspension, which is what it is now. Um, a full withdrawal uh, means that uh, it will take more time to reintroduce or pass it. So by completely scrapping it, the government has to start from scratch. They have to first announce it in the Gazette, and then it goes through uh, to the first, second, and third reading. Okay, At the Gazette stage, okay, I was told that it would have been blocked by the people already. So a suspension means that the bill is technically still um, you know, alive. It's in the government's agenda. And um, given that uh, the second and third reading goes together, usually, the bill can be passed very quickly.
0: Okay, so there's been almost three months of all this. So Why do you think uh, Kari Lam has agreed, agreed to entirely withdraw this extradition bill now?
1: Um, obviously, the first one is to quell the unrest. But uh, let me answer you in the words of Associate Professor Alfred Wu of the Lee Kuan Yew School of Policy, uh, who's been a long-time China um, observer. He made the point that Beijing's priority is regime stability. By this logic, it means that Beijing will not tolerate unrest. Okay, which then explains why Mrs. Lam has stood firm on not having an independent judge-led probe into uh, allegations of police brutality. Um, Because, uh, you know, if uh, if that were to be done, it could uncover um, fundamental systematic flaws in the police force. And this will hurt the ability of the Hong Kong officers and law enforcement.
0: So what's the reaction from the ground in Hong Kong?
1: I think you can sum it up by uh, too little, too late. Um, obviously, different people have vested interests. So, for example, business community, they want stability. Uh, they want the unrest to um, go away. So Chambers of Commerce have come out to say that they welcome this. They are hopeful that this is the first step in restoring business confidence. And if you look at the housing index, um, uh, on Wednesday, uh, you know uh, it, it went up. I think almost about 1,000 points near closing on Wednesday, and it is up on Thursday morning as well. Now, it's a no-brainer that the uh, pan-Democrats have dismissed the offer while the pro-Beijing camp supports it. But I think the interesting thing here is that even within the pro-Beijing, pro-establishment camp, there are people who are unhappy, and some do not support the move uh, because they feel that it is seen as weak or it's seen as inadequate. And the more important question is this, who are the people who are causing the trouble? The protesters. And what do the protesters think? They uh, almost immediately after Mrs. Lam's speech, um, social media was abuzz uh, with this one slogan, five demands, not one less. So um, already more protests have been planned for this weekend. Um, the schedule uh, I last saw says that uh, there's going to be an airport um, jam. Uh, so basically, they're going to jab out the transport network to the airport on Saturday again. Um, and um, it goes on. Um, the events go goes on until September 21st. So if there's one thing you get out of this, it's that um, the protest will go on.
0: OK, thank you very much, Claire. Uh, take care out there. Thank you. Now, Sui what does this say about Kari Lam's position? Would she have got permission from China to concede on this bill? And is this just a tactical concession?
2: Namal, your guess on this is as good as mine. If um, you remember right, on Tuesday, when the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office held its press conference in Beijing, uh, it sounded that it was going to stand firm on conceding to the protesters. The spokesman Yang Guang called the five demands from the protesters political threats. And you would think that the Chinese Communist Party would not easily give in to uh, such threats, least of all from young protesters who are still wet behind the ears. So, and late last night, the South China Morning Post Uh, had a story on its website in which it said that the Hong Kong government did not seek approval from Beijing before deciding whether to withdraw the bill or not, although measures announced yesterday were communicated to the central government. And another reason, of course, is that China does not want this uh, Hong Kong crisis to affect its trade talks with the U.S. Um, Namal, as you have written earlier, the crisis is casting a pell on the talks. And while China is ready to play the long game, it doesn't want Hong Kong, the Hong Kong issue to jeopardize its talks with the U.S. And if they can keep talking, they can actually keep more tariffs at bay. So even if this is not a directive from the top, from Beijing, there would possibly have been some tacit agreement earlier that uh, Beijing would give Kerry Lam some wiggle room to decide on this.
0: Thank you, Sunoy. Now, moving on to our second topic, there have been developments in the Brexit saga. MPs trying to stop a no-deal Brexit have defeated the government.
1: The eyes to the right,
3: 328. The nose to the left, 301, so the eyes have it, the eyes have it. Unlock.
0: So Boris Johnson lost his first vote as Prime Minister, meaning opposition parties and some defecting Conservatives control what happens in the House of Commons. Their aim is to pass a new law, forcing the Prime Minister, if he cannot get a new deal with the European Union, to ask for an extension to the Brexit process. In response, Boris Johnson threatened to call for an election.
3: Mr. Speaker, I don't want an election. The public don't want an election. I don't believe the right honourable gentleman wants an election. But if the House votes for this bill tomorrow, the public will have to choose who goes to Brussels on October the 17th to sort this out and take this country forward.
0: But Britain's parliament has not given the Prime Minister the two-thirds necessary to call a snap election next month, leaving him with little choice but to go back to the EU to negotiate a new withdrawal deal. Well, deal or no deal, there are bound to be widespread consequences for Asia. And that is what I wanted to find out when I spoke to our global affairs correspondent based in London, Jonathan Isle. Okay, the Brexit saga is being seen as a product of dysfunctional democracy or demonstrating how dysfunctional democracy can get. There have been misjudgments, there has been incompetence and so forth. What is your take on that aspect? What does all this tell us?
3: Well, it's a classic case of, is the glass half full or half empty? For a lot of people in the UK, the example of Brexit is not of a dysfunctional democracy, but actually what they would consider the purest form of democracy, namely that the people of Britain are the only people in Europe who've been asked the cardinal and fundamental question, do you wish to be a member of uh, the European Union or not? Uh, The argument of Brexiters would be that many other European countries would love to be given the opportunity uh, to say what they want. The more complicated answer is that the dysfunctionality comes from the fact that the existing structures that we have, formal votes, formal referendums, are unable to answer the very deep questions about the future security and economic arrangements of a country. So the stupidity was not what followed the result of the referendum, but the fact that it was assumed that one binary question in a referendum, namely, do you want to stay in the European Union or not, uh, is the only answer that it could be provided, and that people were asked um, to make decisions that are actually enormously difficult to make because they require a huge amount of information. I think what is forgotten is that we're not direct democracies. We are a representative democracy. So people elect members of parliament so that the members of parliament could take the decisions collectively on topics that are very difficult to decide and cannot be decided with a yes or no question. I don't think it's a failure of the democratic institutions. I think it's a failure of politicians who tried to run these democratic institutions.
0: Very interesting. Now, will anything materially change for people, say from Asia, say from Singapore, buying property in the UK or going to the UK to study and whatnot?
3: Well, the, the, the question of what immigration controls are going to be in place remains very open, so it's, it's, it's not well known. I mean, one of the counterintuitive things that have happened with the rise of Boris Johnson as the new British Prime Minister is that actually he belongs to a group of Conservatives that believe in open immigration. Not open in a sense of uncontrolled, but uh, one of the first things that he said was that he wants to increase the immigration from uh, countries of Asia, that he does want to import talent. So in sheer uh, terms of movement of people, the paradox is that it has been made much easier Singapore passport holders for instance no longer need to answer any questions at immigration control in the UK they simply scan their passports through a machine talk to no one get no stamp in their passport and enter the country this has happened in the last few months and paradoxically it's a easier process rather than a more difficult one the question of property rights is of course a different one and that applies both in terms of whether the property Uh, is going to be affected. There are strong rumours that property prices may collapse in case of a no-deal Brexit, namely we just leave with no deal in place. And secondly, of course, the pressures on the British pound, which mean that any property that one has in the UK, if one wants to dispose of it, will be worth less in any other foreign currency. So there are very large uncertainties. But paradoxically, the uncertainty that most people talked about, namely immigration control, is actually the easiest one.
0: Interesting. Um, Is there any momentum or how much momentum is there out there for um, a post-Brexit US-UK bilateral free trade deal?
3: Well, this is one of the most interesting things uh, because there's two schools of thoughts about uh, uh, Brexit. There are some who just look at it in obsessive terms about putting Britain out of uh, the European Union because they are obsessed with the subject of Europe somehow destroying... Britain's identity. Um, But there are others that have argued that Britain will actually do better in economic terms outside the European Union. I mean, one of these curious discussions that have taken place over the last three years about was whether Britain could become what used to be called the Singapore on the Thames, namely copy the Singapore model of a low taxation and of a free trade and actually recreate the kind of prosperity of the Asian tigers. Of course, the comparisons are not equal and, of course, Britain has a very large uh, social welfare uh, system which cannot be equated to that of Singapore. But the hope is to get trade deals with the United States in particular and with Asia and to to get these deals in a format that allows Britain to benefit from its own uh, advantages, inbuilt economic advantages. Again, one of the curiosities of, of Brexit has been that it's not a backlash against globalization. It is a particular backlash against Europe. But even the most ardent Brexiters would argue that they want to get out of Europe so that Britain could get better trade deals. The real question is whether these deals would be approved by the U.S. Congress and whether, indeed, countries in Asia will be able to sign these deals which somehow differentiate between the body trade uh, agreements with the European Union. It will not be easy because countries will face pressure from the European Union not to sign deals that give Britain a particular advantage at the expense of European exporters. Fascinating. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you for
0: your time. Here in the United States, President Donald Trump has been a vocal supporter of Brexit and is apparently great friends with Prime Minister Johnson. In the PM's first few days on the job, they apparently spoke around twice a week. President Trump is a fan of countries going their own way, a fan of unilateralism, not multilateralism, claiming that multilateral agreements intrinsically mean countries give up some of their sovereignty. Take a look at how he has withdrawn the United States from so many multilateral arrangements, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the Paris Accord on climate change, the Iran nuclear deal, to name just a few. And the Trump administration doesn't like the World Trade Organization either. Now, in the case of post-Brexit UK, President Trump wants to sign a bilateral trade deal with the UK. That leaves troublesome Europeans out, and that suits him just fine. Well, that's a wrap for Asian Insider this week. Do drop us a comment below. Give us your take on the issues, and we look forward to your company in the weeks to come. Till next time, this is Nirmal Ghosh signing off.